Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Good morning. It is exciting to be here, and we've been all over the world uh, in worship. And uh, that's very appropriate because I'm talking this morning about something that's happening in the world, and it's the forces that really are going after us all over the world, after Christian faith. And my simple solution is to look at this this morning, but to realize it's Satan's forces that are after us. And it's time for us to stand up and do what's right and follow what God is wanting us to do to stop those forces. We have a hand in that, a major hand in that. And so we're going to look at some mission fields that are, I believe are seriously being attacked right now, and they, we are part of those mission fields. The first one is uh, the mission field of... Uh, It's time. Uh, how does this advance? You press a button? Oh, it's uh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, and uh, the mission field is of children, ages 0 to 52, 92. Children really of all ages because I know I was a child once, but then I read books about psychology. Oh, I have an inner child of the past. So it doesn't matter who you are, what age, and we're going to look all the way to a 92-year-old this morning, but Mission Field is really being attacked. Every child's under attack, and uh, every child is, there we go, is under a heavy, heavy attack. And I was targeted as a child. I didn't realize it, but there was a scripture. That I don't think they taught us in Sunday school. Uh, the scripture about that roaring lion seeking someone to devour, I was the someone, and I didn't know that. And it, we're all that someone, because Satan is after all of us. I don't know have to raise hands, but how do you? How many of you feel like Satan is after you? Yes. Uh, I, and life for me was very good as a child. I had a father and a mother. Dad was a farmer and an elder in a church. Mom was a homemaker, and she was tremendously active in the church, piano player, taught children, was involved in a lot of things. And I had a brother. He was three years older. That was the problem, but it was okay because uh, I had a dog. And that dog was just a handy part of life. But it didn't help when a big event happened. It was in my life. I was 10 years old. It was Christmas Eve, time of life. And boom, December 24th, 1956. I'll never forget because my mom, 37 years old, dynamic individual, healthy and alive, no sign of problems. She collapsed making cookies that morning and died suddenly. I mean, there's no, her heart basically exploded, aneurysm of the heart. She was gone. And so here I am, a child, trying to deal with this. And, uh, well, I didn't deal with it well, except I, I didn't know the grief process at that time. I hadn't met Kubler-Ross and hadn't gone through denial. I was already going through that. I just, I couldn't believe this. And then, what about the whole next step of bargaining. I was making deals with God all over the place. My, my mom wanted me to be baptized, but she said she's going to wait for me. I thought, I'll be baptized. I'll do anything. I'll even go into ministry. Oh, this is deadly. But uh, I, I was desperate. And uh, none of that happened. And 
So what was I left with? Well, I was left with my dog. And uh, we were outside one day running through the field. And I had moved into that third stage of grief, anger. Uh, but I was a nice kid. So when people came up and said, Jimmy, how are you doing? Fine. Because I got tired of uh, saying something. And then they start crying because my mom was instrumental in the church. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to see any more tears. So I just said, fine. And meanwhile, I was getting angrier and angrier because I heard all these sermons about how God can do anything. God can heal the sick and raise the dead. And I thought, this is garbage. My mom's dead and she's not coming back. Okay, if God is over all, then I figured this is in a 10, 10 to 12-year-old mind okay, going on, brilliant mind. And I'm thinking, okay, if God knows all, can do all, he failed in this one. He killed my mom. Or he's allowed her to die. I can do it anyway. And I went, at, went after that. And finally, one day, I just exploded. And I was a nice kid, nice Jimmy. I'm out in the field with my dog. And I'm madder and blazes at God Almighty. And I just let him have it. Uh, I unloaded every anger word. In, I didn't swear, so I didn't do that. But I was every anger. I was going after God. And I just sat there and cried. And I knew that God was powerful. He could kill me at any moment. I thought, go ahead. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to leave this stupid place. I was really upset. I don't know if you've ever reached that point. I was, I was waiting for the lightning to strike. My dog was nearby. I said, get away. You're going to get killed. And, uh, and instead of lightning, I had this strange sensation, like strong, warm arms. And I can, I can remember that were just engulfing me. That day I was meeting God Almighty. Now since that time I've been through seminary, been through theology classes where we try to put God in a box and my God does not fit in a box ever. Ever has and ever will because he's bigger than I can even fathom. But that's, well I grew and grew and I went into high school and I was in a, I didn't like church. I don't know if you ever reached that point. <laughs> I'm going to be a minister. I don't like church. It was boring, just flat out boring. And I, so I, one day somebody invited me to this thing called Youth for Christ. And I, I went to this Youth for Christ club, and a sophomore in high school, and uh, I, I liked it. It was exciting. And so I went back. I went back again. I was very active for three years in Youth for Christ in high school. What, were they, what did they teach me? Two things. Two things I remember, vital. I still live by these two things. Number one, life. Be like Jesus. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you do that. Oh, there's a scripture. Age 12 to 30, this is what Jesus did. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. That's it. So you get your body right, your mind right, and relationships to God and relationships to people, and you'll be growing to be like Jesus. I've been pursuing that all of life now. <laughs> so then there's another thing they taught me about the, the list. You have to have a list, by the way. A wife of noble character, who can find she is worth far more than rubies? Well, I'm, I was going to look for a wife someday, but I wasn't trying to rush it. But they said, you need a list, Jim, before you start looking of the kind of qualities you'd like to spend with a person, a woman, all of your life. And so I made my list. And, uh, and the list included, at the top, of course, a Christian. I want to marry a Christian. And then I was invited my last year, right before high school, high school ended, my senior year, invited to go to the Billy Graham Crusade and, uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, just to get, get you a picture of that thing, uh, it was major. Uh, 135,000 people on the closing night. I wasn't there on the closing night, but it was in the Los Angeles Coliseum, packed full that night. I went about for the fourth night of my visit. 
they had about 60,000 people, a little crowd. And uh, it was amazing what God was doing that night. Then at the end, Billy Graham gave the invitation. And he, his message was on the, the coming of Jesus and uh, second coming. And he said, are you ready? Well, I was ready. I was trained in Youth for Christ to be a counselor. I, I knew the Romans road. I, I had it all down. You know, I was ready to do this. And we saw kids coming to Jesus. And so, I, yeah, I've, I've got that down. And, and, but I had a hesitation because I was baptized the Sunday after my mom died. And I always wondered if that was valid. I was only going to, I was baptized so I can go to heaven and be with my mom. I thought, is that biblical? I don't know. I've never saw, saw that. But I yes, God will count that one. But Billy Graham came, when I'm going through this, I thought, okay, I'm praying now. Praying for all those heathens to come forward. And, and as I prayed for those heathens to come forward, my heart was going like this. I'm, that doesn't happen when I'm praying for heathens. And so I'm thinking, what's going on here? And Billy Graham, I'm, I'm, I'm at 95%, 96%. I'm good, I'm safe. He came on and said, and he didn't come on every night of the crusade. That night he did. He said, if there's anybody out there who does not have 100% certainty that you're going to be with Jesus, you come. You come right now. He could have just said, Jim Buckley, get up out of your seat and come. Well, I got up out of my seat and I walked down long steps to the Coliseum floor. And there was a, I knew there would be a counselor. And the counselor came over. He had a counselor badge on and had his booklet. And he was going to give me some uh, talk. And he went through Romans 3.23 and 6.23, 5.8. I helped quote it as he was reading it. And he said, oh, it was an interesting question. What, why are you here? I said, I have no idea. I was just felt like I was called to come down here. I don't know why. And he closed his book. This may be one of those angels of life. I don't really know his name to this day. But what he said changed my life. He said, you've come tonight. I know why you're here. You've come to make Jesus number one in your life. Oh, Jesus was important. I never heard that phrase before. Jesus was number one in my life. I... I thought about it. I prayed that night, and I was, I was on, on a cloud nine, but I had a, something to do. I, I got back home, and I changed my list. I changed my list to Jesus, number one. I'm now looking for a female who's going to spend her life with me, and she has to have Jesus, number one, because I figured out at that age, 16, 17, brilliant age, and uh, that if I have Jesus first, and she has Jesus first. We might make it through life really, really good. Not easy, but good. And so I had a list of about 22 things. We won't go through. That's another message. And uh, however, I did go to college. And uh, my second year in college, I dated, I dated a girl for a little bit and it broke up. And I decided I'm going to be single. I haven't found her in two years. I'm not going to find her. She doesn't exist. So, you know, I, I'm, I get a little impatient. And... Uh, Yet I, I, I met a young lady that was just kind of fun to be around. And we were on a walk one night, and she made a comment that Jesus is the most important part of my life. I looked at her. I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> She's a doll. <laughs> Great. I wanted to go, yippee, yippee, but I was being calm. Yes, thank you, Lord. That's a really good comment. And uh, then we dated for three years. But our first date was interesting because we went to see the brand new movie that was out, The Sound of Music, and guess where it's located in Austria. Hang on to the, to the message. I'll tell you about that later. But we dated for three years in college, and then we married. 
and lived happily ever after. Well, the family started coming, and uh, the, we had ministry going on, family going on. Ministry went from California to New England, Oregon, back to California. And, uh, and children started coming, and they came in twos, and we ended there. And we had five children. That was enough. They married, and then they started having children. We have 18 grandchildren. That's been the life. And then during the process, I wanted to, always wanted to go on and get a doctorate. I got my MTS and in Gordon-Conwell earlier. Long story there, but I won't go to that because we don't have time. But my wife, at the time, she said, Jim, as we talked, I couldn't go to, I couldn't get a doctor of ministry now. I was t- thought about doctor of philosophy. Now, I'm more into ministry, practical ministries. I want to pursue D- a DMIN program. And we had no money, and we had no time with all these kids. And uh, so we ended up in, in California in 1983 at a church, small church, it started growing, and I oh, and uh, anyway, we had some time. So one day we were talking, Glenda and I, we talked a lot, and boy, that was interesting. She started saying, you know, you've talked about this for a long time. Maybe now, maybe it's this time, because Fuller Seminary was down the road, about an hour away. You just drive there, and, but you got to study, and I don't, my brain's different now. I'm 40 years old. And I had to end up taking Greek and Hebrew again. 20, that was fine. But my brain didn't work well. Anyway, I did it. Got the MDiv equivalency and doctoral program. I was now Dr. James D. Buckley. And that was pivotal later in life. And uh, because God's, has he been speaking to you in your life? I know you're not ancient yet, but you start getting these thoughts. Thoughts. I kept getting thoughts. And I, I got this big thought about uh, Making disciple makers. A verse in the Bible kept coming to me. And the verse in the Bible was that, yeah, to go for and make disciples of all nations. So we're on this child, it's the mission thing right now, but then that changed. We went to nations. The nations. Making the nations. How do we do that? Well, we've got, every church has mission programs. But one of them invited us to the field. And we've been to other fields, but this one, a field. It was in Europe. Uh, it was the TCM mission, and we were invited there. We got, got to meet Dr. Tony Twist. He was, happened to be there, and happened some things just happened to happen. And I realized, because my first time on a walk, it didn't just happen. I thought it just happened. My wife had arranged it. I didn't know that. And Dr. Tony Twist had arranged something. But all this said, he also told us two things that just hit us to the core. My wife and me, we were there. And he said, we've got students coming from all kinds of countries. And they love Jesus when they come. But we want them, when they graduate with their degree, we want them loving Jesus more than ever. And I love that. Oh, my wife loved that. We've not forgotten that. And then he said, and we're not here just making disciples. We're making disciples to make disciples. Disciple makers is what we're after. And I love that. And so we came home and we loved it so much. Our church started investing some more and our church started exploding. Well, they went back in 2006 and uh, served as short-term workers. We did laundry, floors, compost, everything we could do just to help out. Just exciting to be there with the students from all these countries. And, and then I was invited to teach a course on marriage and family. Well, what do I know about marriage and family? 18 grandkids, you know, uh, learning a lot. And I had a doctor of ministry 
degree. I was an adjunct, fast, not junk fat pastor or, or faculty, but adjunct faculty. And so anyway, I was there, and, and that lasted. You can see the years. And then I was teaching in 10 different countries, not just at the house, House Edelweiss, 30 minutes outside of Vienna, in the Vienna woods, lovely place. I always apologize when I go there and think, Lord, this is not a mission. <laughs> it's not a mission. can't be. And uh, then I, I've been in 10 countries, but 2010, something happened. We had 20 students from 22 different countries. God is at work. I'm just telling you that right now. All over the world, not just at TCM, but a lot of missions. God's on the move because we've seen God now bring in students from 46 different countries, including now Kenya. We've never been to Africa before. And USA. We've never been to the USA before. It's amazing what God's doing. And just that little mission. But meanwhile... You ever been haunted with something? Haunt? It's something. And for me, I take morning walks. I love morning walks. That's my prayer time. And I just walk around and talk. And after an eight-mile walk in Utah one morning, I get thoughts in my head. I've never heard the voice of God. I'm sure it would be low, Jim. But I've never heard that. But I had a thought that morning. It, it was like this. Out of my head, it said, Jim. You ought to take a long walk. <laughs> I don't address myself as Jim normally. So I thought it must be God because God sometimes, I get a thought, and it must be God. And uh, so I just said jokingly, I'm in Utah visiting our son, and I thought, um, uh, you want me to walk across, <laughs> maybe I should walk across Utah. That's a long walk. <laughs> no laughter, so I just walked on. And I just walked, and, and all of a sudden, no, America. That was not funny, God. <laughs> I, I'm a full-time pastor, lead pastor of a church, growing church in California. You may not, may, may not know that, Lord. But, uh, and I, I don't have time to do this, uh, Lord. You don't know. Just kind of listen right now because I, I couldn't do this. And, well, I was, I was intrigued by the idea. And go home. I, I heard that. What does that mean? I'm going back to see my wife. My wife is a very sane individual. <laughs> On the disc profile, if you know that profile, how many know the disc profile? Okay. I'm a high I. She's a high C. Really high C. She's sane, cautious, and I've had many ideas in our marriage, and she'll say, let's pray about it for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, maybe should. And I knew. I knew she would say, I'm, I'm going to go back and tell her, I think God wants me to walk across America, and she's going to say, maybe you ought to take a, a long nap or have a big breakfast, or we'll just meditate on this for a couple of years, and then I knew that. So I walked back in, in where she was. She was waking up, having her devotions, and I said, hi, honey. She said, good morning. And I said, I had a good walk. I, I think God wants me to walk across America. And she said, What? That is not my wife. And she actually said that, and I, and I knew I was in trouble then because I thought, this is not God. This is not me. This is, and so, yes, she did go, by the way. And uh, she went, drove the RV. It was incredible. We wrote about it in a book, but she was, I could not have made that walk without her. And God knew that, and she knew that. And, and I walked, what Cody said, I walked. And I walked, and I walked uh, 25 miles a day, six days a week. We took Sunday off. My feet say, well, I love Sunday. And uh, 
that was just what we did for six months of life. But in the process, why did we do that? I want to know, God, why are we walking? He said, it's all about the home, Jim. With verses that I knew. I preached on these verses, but they jumped out at me. A simple verse in Acts 8.3. If you want to kill a church, how do you do that? You go house to house. Kill the house, you've killed the church. And I thought, that's true. And our churches are weak when our houses are weak. We've got to go home. And then I said, Zacchaeus stories. Zacchaeus was a man. Well, this is really important to know. He, Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. The Greek word for stay, I looked it up. What does that mean? It's meno. It means to stay. For one of those Greek words it can be this or it can be this. It can be stay longer. Jesus wants to stay in our houses all the time. He wants to live there. And I, we've, we've done a great job with churches. We've done a great job with worship services. But we've got to get people to take Jesus home and live there in our homes. And that was the message of the walk. It was all about Jesus. That leads us to another mission field. Homes are being attacked. And that's where we're going to wrap up this message because homes are under attack. We need to do something about that. And we need to win the battle, basically. Win the battle you have to go to Ephesians because we're about out of time. Ephesians 6, okay, verse 17, it's the word of God. We've got to get the sword going. And something happened on the walk. A couple things I'll close with. And that's one of those, a question from a reporter. I'd walked 25 miles one day. I was in my 60s, 66 when I started, 67 when I ended. And that day I felt like I was 95 years old at least. My legs were shot. I walked 25 miles, walked into this little place in Missouri and sat down at a church couch. And I just melted into the couch. And this young reporter came in and he said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you. And I said, I'm glad to meet you too. And so I was, anyway, he said, I have one question to start with. What's the hardest part of, about the walk? I didn't even think. I just responded, tomorrow. <laughs> got to do it again and again. It hit me a little bit later. The word consistency hit me. That's the problem in the church. That's the problem with Christians. They read the Bible for how long until they get tired? Oh, a week goes off. Take some time off from the Bible. You don't take time off from the Word of God. If this is the sword and we're going to go after the enemy, we better stay in it. So I'm, I've memorized on the walk, Philippians, how holy can you get? Well, I can still be out of the word for a while. And I think my wife decided some time ago to start the U version. And so I, she got me into the U version. And look at that. I've been in the U version now 128 days. Actually, it's 129 now. 120, and it flips over every day. When you're in, in the word of God, another it's just cute to watch the number go over 129 days I, it's good i mean you can applaud if you want but it's just, hang on hang on because there's another slide and the next slide look at that 894 who in this room has been in the word of god according to you version 894 days would you please stand go ahead i know you're up that's my wife now you can clap 894 days and I can't catch her because she's not going to stop. Isn't that wonderful? And I think, okay, that's the word of God. But something really hit me. And that is, uh, that is, I'm going to come down and join you right now. Because I want you to turn off the lights. Leave the slides on. Because I believe it's time to win the battle. And Francis of Assisi, about 
900 years ago, made a statement. Uh, Preach the gospel daily, and if necessary, use words. And I'm saying today a variation of that. St. James of somewhere. uh, Win the battle. We've got to win this battle. And if necessary, use weapons. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Okay, weapons, the Bible is one, the other. Don't miss the last part of that scripture in Ephesians 6 because it says prayer. Paul, and I hadn't noticed this till a couple of years ago. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, and I'm teaching now in Europe. I'm teaching people in Turkey. The first time I did this, I have this flashlight. I think, we know what prayer is. It's kind of like this. We pray, and it's kind of fun. It's, we, our, if we, we clap. It's just nice to pray. And then sometimes our prayers are not as strong. They're a little dim. Sometimes they're flashy. Oh, this is cool. That's prayer for the Christian. And we get kind of jazzed about that. But I, just, I never asked the question that came up in Frank Peretti's books. What, what, what do the demons think about prayer? And so I started thinking about that. And I got this little flashlight. And so I just walk around thinking, okay, I know what... I know what Christians think about prayer, but what do demons think when you pray? And one, one book, Frank Peretti wrote about the two, the two or three demons were talking. They said, they hate this little bitty church. All they do is pray. And every time they pray, we just get fouled up. And so maybe this will help us remember, this is what happens when you, when you uh, pray to a demon. Okay, they pray. And the demon, they say, oh, don't, hopefully they don't start praying again. This thing is real. And I can walk around here and I can make you feel this for about an hour. And Satan says, don't let them pray because it's real. That's what the demons think. And I say, it's time to stop the forces in the fields and to go after them with the word of God and with prayer. And this little book was written by a child. A child. His name is Dr. Robert E. Coleman. He is still living. A 92-year-old child who was on staff at the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He made a statement in the end of this book. It says the church is, has messed up Jesus' plan. You know what we, he says? We're after converts now. Converts. Isn't that nice? Jesus was not after converts. He was after disciple makers who make disciples. He counted on 12 people to change the world for him. And he wanted, to, he wanted to change the world. He says in here, Jesus was after world conquest. And some Christians say, really? Yes. You look, look at the life of Jesus. He was after changing the world. He chose 12. They weren't the best of the best, but he chose them. And trained them to be disciple makers. And on the walk, I had another thought one day. It was a weird thought because I was halfway across America looking at New York City as the Times Square uh, as the closing. And the thought hit me late in the day. They're always late in the day. Jim, what happens on the walk is great. But what happens after the walk is even greater. Think about that. College is really good. Get your degree. But it's not done. After college, you keep going. Keep. So I say in closing, the fields, yes, there's three fields. And that means children, we need angels. Anybody want to volunteer to be an angel today for a child? Of 92, sometimes they're old, old children. I'm a child. You're a child too? Yes. 
You just need help. And what about nations that need disciple makers? All nations. We've got some, some of our best friends are, one, we have a son in Kenya. He's as black as the ace of spades, but he's adopted us as a family. And he's a son, and we now have a granddaughter. And <laughs> it's a long stories, but how many have a discipler, somebody who's discipled them? You could name the person. Okay, raise hands. You need disciplers. Okay. How many of you have a disciple you're making into a disciple maker? You need a person, name. Yeah, names. And that's what we need, names. And then the last part, homes need Jesus. When you get out of here, some of you are going back to the dorms. Take Jesus back, please. Please. It'll change this place. I mean, live there and take him to your home if you have a home. And the last part of every message from now on that you preach, tell the people, oh, by the way, take Jesus home. We know he's here today, but we got to get him in the dorms. And I've been in college campuses. He's not always in the Christian college dorms. Let's pray as we close. And I never forget the last slide. It's time to stop Satan's forces, the word of God, prayer, and then this. Last slide. Celebration time. Keep praying. The next slide ends it. Lord, thank you for the fact that we've been called to you to stop the stupid forces of Satan in the world. Let's go after it and never, never stop praying, stop being in the word and making disciple makers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.